when uh, world has been under pressure, rather than crumbling, uh, we've risen. Uh, when we've been called upon to respond to health needs, we've been there, we've done it, we've uh, delivered and supported people. When we've been asked to look after very challenging patients, we've been there, we've done it, we've delivered. When across the board, literally every staff member has been disrupted in one way or another at home and in in our facilities and in our back office areas, people have just got on and done their job. And that that's a testament to our people. And I want to thank you for that. And also say that whilst I can think you beyond my thanks is really more the kind of clarion cry of the mission to really extend the healing ministry of Jesus has been responded to. I, I think our people can stand up with pride and say, you know, when I when I was called upon to respond, when I was called upon to serve for mission, to extend the healing ministry of Jesus, to reach out to the poor and vulnerable, I, I, I was there. And that can be a proud moment for every single one of our staff. And so not only thank you, but stand and have pride in what you've done. Welcome to the final episode of Compassion, Courage, Consolation, Voices for St. Vincent's during COVID-19. In this podcast, we're talking to people who love St. Vincent's, love our staff and love the service we provide in health and aged care. We're doing this to support our compassion for one another and those we serve, to bolster our courage in this extraordinary time and to provide consolation amidst the challenges we're facing. And whilst prepared for St. Vincent's, we're sharing this series with anyone who might find it helpful. If you're joining us from outside of our services, consider yourself part of the family. You're very welcome indeed. My name is Dan Fleming. I lead Ethics and Formation for St. Vincent's. And in this episode, it's a real joy for me to welcome Toby Hall, who's Group CEO for St. Vincent's Health Australia. Toby, welcome. It's great to be talking with you. Thanks so much for joining me for the final episode. Hi, Dan. Good to be with you today. Toby, it's been an incredible journey for all of us over the past few months. What sticks out most to you in terms of the changes we've seen at St. Vincent's? I I think the most admirable thing has been the way our culture has played out in crisis. And what we've seen is we've seen the culture rise and shine in a a most difficult period where everyone's... uh, been under quite immense pressure, uh, both in their workplace but also in their home lives. It's been a, a quite strange scenario for most people where the the issues of work and home kind of, there's this confluence of pressure and stress happening across the board. And in that environment, often you might expect, well, people would uh, would uh, fall to pieces, behaviour would be bad, it would be challenging. But actually what we've seen is the opposite in St Vincent's, the people have risen to the challenge. They have gone out of their way to accept the difficult circumstances they're working in. They've gone out of their way to live out the mission and serve others, even in quite challenging times. There's been some beautiful stories where people have really self-sacrificed uh, to help and assist others. And so that, that's been a, a beautiful uh, thing that I have seen. And it's, uh, I, I, I'm just kind of in awe of how the team at St Vincent's are in that regard that they're really uh, people who stand and rise to a challenge so that's been a beautiful thing. I've also witnessed I think um, times where probably as a society we have not um, we've uh, not really 
understood or or kind of worked out how do we provide care in this time for the most vulnerable and, and I think there have been times where very vulnerable people have been challenged uh, in in this period uh, particularly people suffering I think from domestic violence has been a significant challenge and that's something which uh, I'm very conscious of but I also think uh, it in this period, we've probably seen, and particularly for homeless people and people with addictions, organisations actually realise the pain that's going to be caused, and they've uh, stood up and they've uh, they've reached out to help uh, quite highly challenged, vulnerable groups. One of the things many people may not realise is that through uh, this period, uh, a lot of the organisations traditionally who were there and provided support to um, to very vulnerable groups actually weren't as present as they normally would be. And many of them actually had staff working from home that weren't active uh, in terms of caring. And it's organisations like St Vincent's who stepped into the fray in the field of homelessness to help uh, out with the homeless. And uh, both in Sydney and Melbourne, we saw quite significant efforts to help uh, very vulnerable groups and, and often at a time where the traditional supports weren't there. And that's something which has been beautiful to see as well. Yeah, it's been it's almost as as if the the context has activated the DNA, hasn't it, Toby? And and all of these things give moments in which the mission can come alive in really special ways for St Vincent's. And I wanted to ask you how you, from your position, have seen the mission lived across different parts of St Vincent's at this time in aged care, private hospitals, and public hospitals. So the. Uh the things which have uh, struck me most and probably the story which I think is most powerful from a mission point of view is um, we, we had a team of nurses uh, from St Vincent's in Sydney go and assist with the New March House aged care facility and that that, that was something which was challenging. We, we, um, we actually reached out to New March House to find out how they were going and it was clear they weren't going well and they needed some help from a health organisation and, and perhaps for whatever reason weren't getting that from other health organisations. So we actually asked for volunteers uh, because we didn't feel it would be fair to ask staff uh, or instruct staff to go and work there, but we asked for volunteers and with, within literally 20 minutes we had uh, 18 people volunteered to go and work in New March House. And... To me, that is kind of the sacrificial heart of the sisters that would have played out throughout the history of the organisation uh, coming to fruition, that our people today would see uh, a suffering environment, a place of need that we could respond to, and also a place where they would be personally at risk, and that's the, that's the reality. They were going to a place with a significant number of COVID cases which could impact them and their families. And yet 18 of our staff literally put their hands up straight away to say, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll go. Yes, I'm prepared to go on mission. And it actually reminds me going back to the kind of uh, Ignatian spirituality, which to an extent sits behind our organisation, of this Ignatian concept of always having a foot in the air ready to go on mission and be prepared to change direction. And that's what we saw play out with the uh, team who went out to Newmarch House, and I was so proud of that group. Other, other places where we've seen quite profound work is the... Um, is uh, the silent, quiet work which has happened in aged care sites where the normal visiting that uh, would take place from families hasn't been possible. Uh, the normal relationship 
uh, that have been in place for our residents has not been uh, able to take place. And in a number of cases, our staff have really stepped into the breach to provide love and care uh, for families in a very challenging time and done their best to support and enable as, as good a relationship as uh, could be possible. And that, that has meant them stepping in for a period of time to really provide more care than uh, is probably uh, required from the perspective of duty in terms of uh, having to go beyond and care for the full social and spiritual and uh, health needs of people in our residential aged care because families couldn't be there like they often were and volunteers couldn't be there like they often were. And those people in the aged care sites who've done that will never get the public recognition and, and the heroic kind of status that our health frontline workers might get. But actually they're quiet heroes in the background who by their actions, by their smiles, by their extra time, by just having a longer conversation with residents, that they've actually been as heroic as our frontline workers in, in stepping in to understand the vulnerability of people in what has been a very difficult period. And again, that's a great joy. Our hospitals, uh, I think, have uh, prepared themselves very well. They've had some ups and downs. I mean, we literally, and our private hospitals go to have almost no activity for a period of time. And yet I didn't hear a single complaint from staff through that period. And as our hospitals have uh, reopened in terms of private hospitals, I've actually only had one complaint directly from a clinician through that period out of our thousands of clinicians. And that speaks volumes about the quality of our people and the fact that they care and love for this organisation that they also have been prepared to kind of go through and work through very difficult periods without complaining, without groaning, uh, without expecting everyone to jump forward. And they've accepted the environment we're in and done their best to get on and support and make uh, things as successful as possible. And then uh, even in the background, you saw many, many people putting huge amounts of hours, which often wouldn't be seen by... Uh, everyone, but uh, a, a purchasing team who really worked literally non-stop for weeks to try and ensure we had the right PPE supply for our staff on the front line. Our payroll workers working at home, our accounts payable people working at home, some some with young kids running around causing mayhem while they're making sure people are paid, making sure our suppliers are paid. Uh, one of our finance teams got four young kids uh, doing presentations to our board and environment from home with their young kids around. And you you realise that a lot of people have sacrificed a huge amount to try and make sure that the good work we do, the mission at the heart of what we do is uh, carried on. So, so many people, it's hard to single uh, them out, have really gone beyond the call of duty and it's been a, a great thing to see. And that's... Uh, that's what you'd hope for and we'd aspire to at St Vincent's. It's beautiful in the time of trial that that is actually what we've seen. Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? And it's remarkable too, Toby, honing in on that point of how each of these aspects of the organisation weave a tapestry which allows us to be the mission in action today. And I want to come back to that and what that means in our history in a moment. But before we do, just taking a, a, a step back, you've led the St Vincent's family for a while now. Is there a particular story, and it might be COVID-related or it might be before that, which comes to mind for you, which holds together those themes of compassion, courage, and consolation? 
I, I think uh, there's probably a couple of stories uh, that really hold kind of what is St Vincent's for me, but pro- probably one of the stories which sticks with me is uh, is one of our clinicians, Lauren, was uh, looking after uh, a man who was uh, incarcerated in the justice system and had been for some time who who had significant health problems and was in a position where he had no one to advocate for him in what was actually an unjust justice system in his case. And uh, she saw his plight, saw the issues he's facing, saw the health issues he's facing and, and recognised two things. That firstly, it was quite likely that the justice issues he, he was facing were not things which he had done intentionally, but things which were absolutely related to his um, his health situation. And so she saw that injustice and she also saw that the justice system wasn't able to find a way to support this man other than just to keep him incarcerated. And she stepped out to help and go to court, advocate for him uh, from what I understand some person, of course, she took time off, drove uh, quite a distance to go to court and advocate for him, and he was uh, he, he was uh, able to leave the justice system, get the treatment and care he needed. And I'm not saying it was easy for him from that point, but uh, she she stepped in to give freedom to someone who should have had freedom, who was a patient, and and that that was a story of going beyond the call of uh, of care to a patient to understand the whole of the person to say that in this person's case they needed so much more from us to provide the care and love that St Vincent should give and that is a reminder really of the work right at the start of the Sisters of Charity where they went into the prisons in uh, in Dublin they worked with a couple of ladies who are facing the death penalty, which I think in context now many of us would see as totally unjust, but that kind of journey that was happening back then is still happening today. And that story kind of strikes me that that the way we are, the way our mission is, is as alive today as it was going back so, so many years ago. The other thing which I think uh, I just highlight, which has been something I'm really really pleased of, which is really recent, is that uh, our staff in our emergency departments have, uh, in the last couple of months, been able to rescue uh, at least two people from, effectively, from uh, human trafficking in Australia. And many people kind of don't realise that human trafficking is still happening in Australia. And in the midst of the COVID crisis, when it would be really difficult to do the normal day-to-day stuff and to kind of really focus in on uh, what's happening because there's just so much going on, there's so much tension around, our staff were able to see some people who clearly have been human trafficked and were able to step in and bring them freedom uh, and to get police involved, get the right agencies involved to take them out of human trafficking. And those kind of things are transformative for the people that we work with. And our curing process, we do a lot of our operations and we see people healed and it's a wonderful thing. But at our best, it goes beyond that where we actually help in a process of transformation of lives. We bring freedom to people, not just from illness, but from the things which might bind them in society. And that's us at our 
best. Equally, then um, I, I marvel the the wonderful technology and the way our our health system is today. And I, even last week, I was reminded by my daughter. She showed me a story of, on Facebook of a man who'd been in our heart transplant unit. It wasn't a St Vincent's post; it was his personal post where he celebrated that he'd had a transplant. And two days later, he was up and walking around outside the hospital, getting fresh air. And you marvel at how wonderful the work of our clinicians is that someone can now have a heart transplant and be up and walking around two days later. And uh, it's uh, it's phenomenal, the, uh, the technology that brings healing to people as well. And again, in his case, his life will be extended and he, he's... Uh, He's got a whole new lease of life and seeing that happen, whether it's someone in the justice system, whether it's someone homeless, whether it's someone who has just got a health problem, it's just uh, it's a beautiful thing to see. And we see so many of those stories, but they're some of the ones which I cherish. That's beautiful, Toby. Thanks for sharing those. And I just love how they they hold together so many of the, the commitments which we write on our walls and in our mission statements, but these stories hold them together as witnesses to these commitments in action, the, the dignity of all people especially those who are forgotten the the willingness to go the extra mile but also to see health as something in context of what it means to be human and helping people to be more fully human through supporting their freedom whether it's from slavery or prison or freedom from these health concerns that have been hampering them back through all that technology it's amazing toby what about yourself during this time in mean, your your role holds an enormous amount of responsibility all the time and i'm sure that's been accentuated during covid in that context what consoles you what gives you courage and what helps you to continue to lead compassionately I think, uh, look, 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 for me, I think first off, it's really important to say I, I, I really come from a philosophical position that we, we all try and use our skill base as well as we can and the gifts and talents we've got as well as we can. And I, I, I don't necessarily perceive that my role is more difficult or more challenging than other people's. In fact, I, I personally come to see that it would be far more challenging to be a nurse or aged care worker on the front line than, than my role. And uh, I, I think that's uh, that's just part of how I th- I, I think. But I, I also also have important things to do, and it can be challenging at times. And uh, it feels like you've got a hundred balls in the air in one go, and if you're not kind of focused a hundred percent, some of those balls could easily drop, and it would take away from how well the organisation runs. Uh, personally, I've got a very simple philosophy of I. I kind of hope that I can uh, help people in a journey of being the best they can be in their particular field and I, I try and aspire to create an environment where that can happen and for me to be my best I, I know I have to uh, keep fit and so I spend quite a lot of time then uh, making sure that I'm keeping my fitness levels up I run uh, a lot and I love to do that and that's great for keeping me physically fit but also uh, I think mentally fit and it does need to be a, a level of mental fitness when there's so much going on that you've got to be able to keep on top of. I'm very blessed to have a great church and a great family, and I'm, I'm part of them. They help keep me grounded. There's nothing like uh, nothing like uh, reading the Bible to kind of get you back down to earth when uh, when you're a CEO. You get you have to accept that. Uh, 
every one of us is very human and we've all got faults and the Bible's really good at reminding you of those. And so I think being grounded in reality and not, not being, uh, as, as we'd say, uh, back in my home country of England, not being too up yourself is always important uh, for a CEO. And we need to be reminded that all of us are just kind of normal, everyday people. Uh the other thing which I think though is important is that I, I love what the organisation does and I love that I get to work here. It's just a beautiful place to work. The, the cultures are incredible. And, you know, we have, our, we have our squabbles now and again organisationally and with uh, different issues going on around the place, but usually it's a beautiful place to work and even when the squabbles are going on, they only go on because people want a, a better outcome for our patients or better care for people we're serving and what's not to get motivated by in St Vincent's we help uh, transform people's lives we're right at the cutting edge of healing uh, we are working with the most disadvantaged groups and able to influence um, health outcomes for them through to uh, you know we work with some of the wealthiest people in the country and deal and support them at their most vulnerable time and so it's a beautiful place to be part of. I think the charism of the sisters that carries through and has carried through for so long in terms of extending the healing ministry of Jesus is a, a great mission. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in saying to people that it doesn't matter where you are in the organisation, you, you're actually part of our mission. And I, I talked earlier about the, uh, the payroll staff, the finance staff, the human resource teams, the procurement teams, the cleaning teams, the environmental teams, the food teams, that they all play a part of the healing ministry. And often they don't realise that they're part of the mission and they kind of see that they're, they're actually back from it. But without cleaning, our organisation would fall apart in under 24 hours. And you suddenly realise this cohesive organisation that is uh, needing each other to... Uh, to make sure it succeeds is what uh, what we're all about and I, I love being part of that and I play a small part in that and I, I try and keep myself as grand as I can and uh, works most of the time. And uh, if you want to know what I've done in my spare time, we've done jigsaws, we've played an awful lot of game of cards and Uno and, uh, and uh, we've got a great game called Trionomos. Uh, I can kind of brief interlude there, Dan. We had a one of those Christmas gift things where you get a five buck gift and give it away, and I got given this game of Trianomos uh, as the last person to get a gift, and so I couldn't do a swap or anything. And I kind of looked at it and I was like, "What are we going to do with that?" But actually, it's brought hours and hours and hours of fun to our family. We play it a lot, and it's been a great, uh, great joy to us. So the game plan has been good for us, and then. Uh, We've been keeping fit and watching a few really great uh, movies, which are good for the soul and good for the brain, and also watching a bit of trash as well, just to give some downtime. That's great. And, it, I mean, it does actually reflect something that's come out in this moment in time too, is that as we've been forced into more and more isolation, we have discovered unexpected joys, many of us, and it's been very hard for some people, as you said before. Um, and yet there are other examples of, yeah, in the quiet and the stillness and opening up something we never would have looked at in our busy lives, we, we see something beautiful. And, Toby, going back to that, the point you were raising there about what it, what it is to work at St Vincent's, um, so many of us are so proud of the history that we have at St Vincent's and as we know that that's what brings a lot of our staff to the organisation how do you think that this particular moment in time will be reflected on 
as part of that history in the future? It's, it, it's been really interesting in that the expectations we had in terms of what we would need to do have, uh, have not really played out how we expected. So we did expect our hospitals to be full of very sick people. Uh, we did expect to have uh, really difficult ethical issues to deal with in terms of how many people we could treat and care for. And we haven't been put in that situation, thank God. And, uh, and so a lot of the challenges we expected to see uh, didn't arise. That said, what we did see is, which I think will be remembered in the future, is that a number of people uh, have stood up when they needed to to go and assist from a health delivery point of view. A number of people have uh, have worked and been prepared to just adapt to completely different ways of working almost overnight and have just got into it and done it. Uh, and I think the, the key thing we'll remember through this probably won't be the kind of profound steps around healing because it has, it's not been where we expect it to be, but it will actually be that our people, when they need to respond, can respond and change really quickly. And now uh, our organisation has gone from having a, a few telehealth sessions a week and like quite, probably a few hundred to thousands of telehealth sessions, literally in a matter of three weeks. And, mm-hmm. and, and you'd said, could we do that before? The answer would have been no. But somehow the organisation adapted and made it happen. When uh, we were asked to put in... Uh, some fever clinics in, in Sydney at Bondi Junction. The team jumped, got it done. When we got asked to go and work out at Newmarch, the team jumped, got it done. Uh, we've, uh, a lot of people may not have seen the communication platforms, but most people have kind of somehow experienced Zoom or Skype or, uh, or Teams. When we wanted to upgrade the quality of that because it's becoming more normal, uh, and the team have kind of had their headspace that would take maybe – could, could even be normally in a normal scheme of things, 18 months to deliver a new rollout of uh, technology. They, they managed to turn that around in nine days. And you kind of look at some of those things and it, what, what you've really seen is what our people can do at their best uh, when all the kind of bureaucracy is taken away, when all the kind of uh, things which we often think are really important at the time are kind of stripped back. We can get things done phenomenally fast when we want to and we can uh, – we, we can uh, achieve amazing things. The other thing which I think will be remembered is, is that in the early phases of the response, a significant number of people, not knowing what was going to happen, put in a huge amount of time and effort from a work point of view, and not, not one of them that I, I heard complained or grumbled about it. They just did what they had to do, and I, I know many people literally for the first month were working uh, nearly every day for that month, some of them very, very long hours, and they just got on and did it. Mm. And no, no one's probably going to get thanked enough for doing that, but they did it because they love the mission. That's what is the heart of it. They weren't doing it for me or for themselves. They were doing it because they loved the mission of the organisation, that they were able to serve and do the right thing. And when they're called upon, we know in the future that our people will stand up and they will do the right thing and they will serve and they will care for the community. And that's, a, that's what I think will be remembered. And, and Toby, we will be called upon because we, we need to continue to um, deliver on the mission, to, to be the mission in action. 
And as you mentioned there, we didn't end up with the massive surge that we were fearing and anticipating and planning for, and yet we, we still need to continue our services. We still need to care for those who we're entrusted to care for. And that really leads us to a question about the future now. What does the future look like for St Vincent's as we emerge from these few months of the pandemic? So uh, I, I think we've got a great future ahead of us, uh, but that great future requires some thinking from a, a realistic point of view in terms of what's going to play out over the next period of time. I think the first thing for us to look at, particularly organisationally, is that financially it's going to be a very tough few years ahead of us. Um, the federal government and the state governments have all spent a huge amount of money on their response to COVID and that's kept us very safe in Australia, which we, uh, we can be very grateful for. But it will mean that they are operating under quite constrained budgets. So when we look at our aged care activity, which we know needs more funding, more medical input, uh, the federal government, who largely funds that, is going to be on a really tight budget, and I don't know where they're going to find the money to put into that system. When you look at uh, public hospitals, the, the major states that we work in, New South Wales and Victoria, have responded and spent a huge amount of money. Their budgets are going to be very tight. They're going to have to repay some of the debt, and so I think the funding which has flowed through to us in the health system is going to be more restricted uh, than it has been in the past. And then if you look at the private health insurance market, it obviously funds our private hospitals. We've seen people dropping out of that. And I think with the way the economy is going to be, we'll see more people dropping out of that. And I think over the next two, three years, there's actually going to be this uh, focus on there. there's going to be less money flowing to us. And we're going to have to be far more strategic and thoughtful about how we spend the money. In fact, it's quite clear that we're going to be asked to do much more with much less. Now, that is a challenge which we have to face realistically and we can't put our heads in the sand and ignore that. But there are opportunities that we can use to respond. So one of the things we saw play out really quickly in our response at St Vincent's was the uh, implementation of telehealth services across the board. And what that's meant is for a range of uh, clinicians, they can deliver services across video, across phone that they never could before. And that, that has been transformational in terms of models of care. Uh, patients are having to spend far less time travelling because they can deal with a, an outpatient issue across a video. That's a saving for the patient. But often those uh, engagements across video are actually taking less time than the face-to-face -face, uh meetings might do, which is giving more time back to the clinicians, which maybe allows them to deal with and care for more patients. Great example in, uh, in dealing with some of the remote areas in New South Wales, we've been able to help take the waiting list for patients from three months down to under a week for addiction services. And those kind of models are things which I think we're going to have to engage with and work with going into the future. The second thing we're going to have to embrace is that the newness of technology, which is continuing to play out in health, is transforming the amount of time people are going to spend in hospital. And if, if COVID has taught us anything, it's kind of encouraged us to move people out of the hospital back to home as quickly as possible. And in Australia, we, we keep people in hospital far longer than they are kept in hospital in other countries. Now, some of that is a technology issue, but some of it is just how we have operated. And we need to rethink how we operate and be prepared to care for more people at home. Telehealth can do, uh, do wonders in helping with that process, but also remote monitoring and remote care into homes 
uh, I think is going to be part of our future. And that will reduce costs. And actually for patients, in many cases, gives them a better level of care than they might have had when they've been in the hospital. And much as we love being in our hospitals, there's nothing better than being at home in bed recovering. And so I think we'll see growth in, uh, in the need to respond to and support people in the home. I think we'll also need to embrace new technology. As, as an example, my wife is having an operation in a couple of weeks, and that operation would have, going back even three years, required her to stay in hospital probably for five days and be out of work for a month. Uh, she, she actually can have the operation and she'll be able to get up and walk out of the hospital four hours later. And Embracing new models of technology, new models of care is going to be really important for us. I think then also that translates into the work we do, the most disadvantaged groups of people, and that looking at telemedicine to engage with homeless shelters, to engage with home services, to be able to do early intervention medical care is something which we we have, hadn't really embraced before. We've now got the technology enabled people getting used to using it which means that we can provide direct care into homeless services that maybe before would never have been available that person would have come to the emergency department taken a lot of time to get fixed and and often had delayed uh, seeking treatment with telehealth they can get fast access fast treatment fast recovery and so we are going to embrace new models of care which i think will uh, help us to be more efficient and respond to some of the cost issues which we're going to face, but actually will also at the same time deliver better models of care for people. And so the, ex the exciting part of the future for me is, uh, is this. We need to rethink how we deliver our care in our traditional hospital settings, and that will be faster than it's been in the past. We then need to rethink how we engage with people and far more of that will be by video and through technology that's been in the past. And we also need to find ways to help people recover more effectively, more quickly in a home environment rather than in a hospital environment. Now, those are big challenges for us, but I'm absolutely confident St Vincent's can rise to that challenge, can succeed in that space and ultimately extend our mission and do our mission more effectively than we've uh, done it in the past and give better care at the same time. If we can be more effective and deliver better care at the same time, that's a great future for us. It works for our patients, it works for us organisationally. And actually, uh, I think we will see us right at the cutting edge of delivery of healthcare in Australia. And Toby, it picks up on so much of what you've said in this interview today and, and reflected on that we've seen this come alive during this time of pandemic and the future, challenging as it is, is going to call on these very same aspects of who we are, what our culture is, what drives us and why we do our work to continue to do it excellently into the future with a view to serving people better and better, as you say. A final question, Toby, which I've asked everyone on the, the podcast, um, and you have had the opportunity to speak to all of our staff a number of times, but here's another one in the context of, of this podcast. What would you like to say to all of our St. Vincent staff at this time? Well, I think the key thing is, uh, is a, a great big thank you uh, for the work that you've done, for the fact that when our world has been under pressure, rather than crumbling, uh, we've risen. Uh, when we've been called upon to respond to health needs, we've been there, we've done it, we've uh, delivered and supported people. When we've been asked to look after very challenging patients, we've been there, we've done it, we've delivered. When across the board, literally every staff member has been 
disrupted in one way or another at home and in in our facilities and in our back office areas. People have just got on and done their job and that that's a testament to our people and I want to thank you for that. And also say that whilst I can thank you, beyond my thanks is really more the kind of clarion cry of the mission to to really extend the healing ministry of Jesus has been responded to. And I, I think our people can stand up with pride and say, you know, when I when I was called upon to respond, when I was called upon to serve for mission, to extend the healing ministry of Jesus, to reach out to the poor and vulnerable, I, I, I was there. And that can be a proud moment for every single one of our staff. And so not only thank you, but stand and have pride in what you've done in terms of responding. Stand and be confident in that you've uh, you've answered the, the call. There's a, there's, there's a great uh, Bible passage where Jesus uh, t- tells a story. And at the, the end of the story, you hear this concept of uh, a good and faithful servant. Uh, being rewarded for work that has been done. And I think our people through this period can absolutely be referred to as good and faithful servants and that there's no higher higher reward than being acknowledged as having been a good and faithful servant to our mission. And I'm so proud of our people that they have been that and very thankful that they've been able to do that. And... uh, yeah, keep up the good work. God bless you all, and uh, let's keep this uh, this culture that we've uh, seen so vivid and alive during this period alive and going forward into the next months and years. Toby Hall, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Dan. You've been listening to Compassion, Courage, Consolation, Voices for St Vincent's during COVID-19. This podcast series has been developed by St Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music for this podcast comes from Kevin McLeod. His track, Bittersweet, let us in, and you can hear his track, Touching Moments, one now. Kevin's website is incompetech.filmmusic.io. And the music is brought to you under the Creative Commons 4.0 license. All of this information and more is provided in the text accompanying this podcast. Thanks for listening.